Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we are talking all about the first two episodes of Ahsoka. That's kind of crazy to say. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't believe this series exists. And I think before we start really diving into it, Charlotte and I do want to note that we are recording this during the SAG-AFTRA WGA strike. So we have no idea when this episode will air. Uh, As you know, if you've been following us, we are on hiatus during the strike, a full hiatus. But this episode will eventually come out. (laughs) And we just want to note that at this time, we have only seen episodes one and two when we're recording this. So that's all we've seen. We're trying to keep a good schedule with recording during the strike, but we also want to be upfront about uh, what we have and haven't seen so far and the fact that this is being recorded while so many are on strike. Yes, absolutely. All right. So if we could just place ourselves in our brain of being, <laughs> how old were we? Like 14 when we first met the character of Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. And we were really obsessed. Actually, particularly you were pretty obsessed when we saw the Clone Wars movie. I and would. ever since then, I feel like Ahsoka has been our favorite character. Like, we'll say Ben Solo, we'll say Luke Skywalker, we'll say Anakin, we'll say Padme. <laughs> but honestly, when it really comes down to it, we are fans and we are still fans right now because of the character of Ahsoka being introduced in the Clone Wars and the Clone Wars continuing and Dave Filoni creating all of this amazing animation and furthering the stories. And here we are with Dave Filoni's live action <laughs> series debut with Ahsoka. The title is Ahsoka. There doesn't get more mainstream than that, right? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people will be or or would be talking about this with the trajectory of Ahsoka as a character and just kind of honestly how incredible it is. And I feel like it's been a minute since we've talked about our origin story with Ahsoka or or rather for me specifically, like you said, she was someone that I kind of latched onto immediately before we even saw the Clone Wars movie when the posters came out. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) that's my, that's my character. (laughs) You do that a lot, by the way. Like that's, that's your thing. You will identify someone <laughs> from what's going to be your character and it will be ride or they die. Claim them as mine. Yes. It's like uh, those memes that are like, uh, oh, tag yourself within the photo. I tag myself when I see a poster or concept art and I don't stray. I'm very loyal. No, so loyal. <laughs> that was Ahsoka for me. And I think uh, particularly, you know, as you guys know, Charlotte was the one that introduced me to Star Wars and I saw I came to be a Star Wars fan in 2005, 2006 after Revenge of the Sith. I almost said Return. (laughs) Revenge of the Sith had come out on DVD. So for me, the whole I already knew most of the story before I even saw Star Wars for the first time. So for me, seeing Ahsoka, her character, she was that person that was the question mark for so long. She was someone that Charlotte and I got to grow our speculation skills and talk about how stories were progressing and and things like that as it related to her character. And I think that that was really important for us just uh, for our relationship to Star Wars and and even now to bring it all the way up to our podcasting life of speculating still being something that we absolutely, it's one of our favorite parts of the Star Wars journey is wild speculation. Mm-hmm. And I think we we can probably credit that to the character of Ahsoka. Yeah, absolutely. And all the little 
pieces of her character mm-hmm. that carried us to the finale of the Clone Wars, basically, which I guess that has like two definitions, obviously, but or actually three definitions. <laughs> but when when Ahsoka leaves the Jedi Order, all of those pieces, we talked about them endlessly. And that was beginning 15 years ago for us to the day like a couple weeks ago. Week, yeah. Or, yeah. It's just wild to think about. And I just I couldn't be more excited to be talking about these two episodes because I'm excited to talk about what you thought. We've talked about it some over text at this point, but I am so all in. I'm obsessed. (laughs) I feel like this show is everything. Anyway, we're going to be talking about part one, Masters and Apprentice, directed by Dave Filoni, and also part part two, Toil and Trouble, directed by Steph Grade. That title... <laughs> we had a little laugh, okay? The, to- the toil and trouble of it all is so on the nose. It is very David Filoni to me. <laughs> oh my God. I one of, you know, if you followed Charlotte and I talking about uh, basically all live action television and, and all television for that matter, we love to talk about titles. And one of the things we kind of harped on with The Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett when it was coming out was the fact that these were chapters and not episodes, right? Everything was called like chapter 16, the Jedi. They weren't episodes. And now we've segued into the Ahsoka show being part one, part two. Uh, and I, I assume the rest of them will also be called parts. And I don't know. I I just it's so fascinating to kind of follow uh, how they're calling these episodes, right? You know, when um, Charlotte and I had some interviews last year, uh, when we actually did get to ask Dave Filoni a question and John Favreau, we had one of our backup questions to specifically ask about episode titles <laughs> because we find it so interesting. And I would still love to ask people on this show, Dave Filoni specifically, about how these choices get made, right? Like all of these episodes are going to be called parts. I would imagine they're going to follow a similar pattern of, you know, two words, masters and apprentices, toil and trouble. <laughs> I can't get over toil and trouble. I'm sorry. I think it's so funny. <laughs> but I, it's hilarious. I'm excited to keep <laughs> tracking uh, these episode titles. Masters and apprentices feels very on the nose for kind of being reintroduced to everyone in the first episode. I will say I expected things to get a little bit more witchy in Toil and Trouble, given the title. But uh, we did definitely get some Dathomir magic in there. So the title makes sense. But I I kind of fully expected there to be a cauldron or something at some point <laughs> in that episode with Morgan Elsbeth. But well, I mean, there was green fire. There was. There was conjuring that was happening. No, there absolutely I think... was. But it was not Mother Talzin levels. Okay. And I think that's what I was expecting, honestly. Right. Um, I understand that. But if I could just defend the title choice and like the perhaps your like underwhelmness of the witchy elements, I think that for the audience that has only watched The Mandalorian and not the animated Mm -hmm. shows, a title like Toil and Trouble does indicate that Morgan Elsbeth is something different than a Jedi, something different than the Sith, that there is like witchy magic at play here and I think the show obviously does and tells you that and shows you that but I think it's another clue and another reminder for the audience that we're dealing with three separate force wielding entities at this point right we have like the Sith with Balin and Shin and then we have Morgan who is Dathomiri and then we have Ahsoka and I guess Sabine now in the sort of Jedi lane, which I, we will talk about and debate a little bit. But all of them like don't necessarily fit into that like 
category that I just described them in fully, right? Which I think is interesting. But this Mm -hmm. title itself sort of indicates that, oh no, this is like, there's some witchy elements in this and you need to be aware of that. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And I think that we're setting up for more witchy elements in the future too. Yes. I will say that Toil and Trouble is such a fun name too. It's very, it's very witchy. It's very Halloween-y. It's very, you know, Toil and Trouble, Make the Cauldron Bubble, whatever. You know what I mean? It's- (laughs) Bubble, bubble, toil and bubble, trouble, bubble, toil cauldron and trouble. burn, and what is it? Fire bubble? Okay, and I lost it. I, I really went into that with like full confidence <laughs> I was going to be able to recite that, and then I really lost it at that. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We both <laughs> I couldn't get it either. But I think yeah. it's, such a, it's such a playful name, I guess, is what I'll say. And I'll bring back one of our kind of retired favorite phrases of breadth of play. And this feels like this really fits into that breadth of play, toil and trouble. It's it's fun. It's a cute name. I I don't know. I really like it. I'm excited to see what the other names are. Yeah, we've already talked about this quite a bit. Wait, I, I just I need to course correct. Okay, so obviously double double toil and trouble is from Macbeth, which it's the witches of Macbeth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's double double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Oh, okay. So I think I said cauldron burn and fire bubble, yeah. which is wrong. There was a bubbling yeah. cauldron. I did. I think I did get bubbling cauldron. I just. Got it in the wrong order. You're like Macbeth. I'm like a cute witch rhyme. <laughs> no, it's the witch rhyme. <laughs> the <laughs> original witch rhyme. Um, Michael. <laughs> no, opposite. <laughs> Macbeth. <laughs> Why not both? Breadth of play. <laughs> I will. I will also tell you, listener, that it has. It's been a while since we've recorded, actually. So like a month. It's been a month, which I think the longest we've actually gone without physically recording has been three weeks. So I feel like we're still uh, reworking our podcasting muscles. <laughs> if you'll bear with us, perhaps it's like riding a bike. Yeah, for some of the silliness that will ensue. Before we dive into discussing the fact that there's a crawl, Caitlin, what did you think of these two episodes? I feel like I said I was all in, but you did not. I'm I'm all in. Okay. I, <laughs> Period. <laughs> I think there were a lot of elements that I was really worried about or hesitating or just interested to see how they would play out. And Charles and I have also been doing our rewatch of Rebels right now. And I have just like re-fallen in love with Rebels so, 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 so much that it, I was like, what kind of Rebel sequel is this? Is it fair to call it a Rebel sequel? I don't know. I've just been like really turning over things in my head and uh, you know, honestly, I was feeling like I shouldn't put so much expectation on this because I've had these high expectations let down in the past before, and that was a lot to get over. <laughs> and I didn't want to kind of put myself in that same headspace, but and and like be okay if I didn't a hundred percent love it. But I a hundred percent loved it. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. And, and you know, like who's to say how the rest of the season will go out, will continue. I'm sure there'll be some parts I love more than others. But I really think that this truly is a Rebel sequel and is so the characterization with all of these characters that we know from Rebels and, and obviously Ahsoka and stuff feels so spot on to me. It feels like I've really stepped into Rebels the show in like the best way. And there's all this intrigue about what's coming next for Ahsoka and Sabine. And I think it looks amazing. And I'm just really excited to see what is coming next. And I mean, not to mention the weird force stuff, which 
You guys know we love the weird force stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. so excited to see what's coming next. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm so with you. And I think it's such a bold move for this to be so intrinsically tied to Rebels. Mm -hmm. But I do think that for the casual viewer, it works because I think the introductions to the characters that we saw are still strong enough. I did watch this with my mom and I did have to give her like a one minute spiel about Ahsoka (laughs) midway through. And she had some questions about Thrawn. But it's okay to have questions and those questions can continue to be answered in the show. And that's something that I have to stop myself sometimes when people are just like in general, when people are watching something that I've seen before and I know the answer, you know, you just have to be like, no, no, the narrative will answer it and it will show you and it will show the audience. And I think that this, these two episodes in particular really worked hard to deliver a lot of introductions to characters that as animated fans we've seen and we know, but some of some maybe even the majority of the audience that is watching this might not have any sort of understanding who writer Azadi is and like oh it God. doesn't matter I think that you you know because he's existing in the show and that's all you really need if you're a deeper fan you can see something more I feel like I'm beating a oh god a dead horse I'm the, <laughs> the idiom is <laughs> Right. That's sometimes when you say an idiom out loud, you're like, that is we just can't terrible. Remember any rhymes and or idioms in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> the idiom is beating uh, a dead horse. It's kind of terrible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad idiom. I, I feel like I talk about that all the time where it's like, it's fine. Sometimes it's okay to be unknowing or not have this encyclopedic knowledge of like a character's origin when you come into a story. But yeah, I did have to give a little refresher. It was okay. You know, that's fine. You can do that on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. If you really wanted to. But this again, I think the show will do its job to show us what's important and what we need to clue into. But we need to talk about the crawl. We need to talk about the fact that there's a crawl, that Dave did this. What do you think? I was incredibly shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I have like a chopper stuffed animal and he was watching. Obvi- he watches all new Star Wars with me. <laughs> and I was just like talking to him like, did you know this was going to happen? Did you know there was going to be a crawl? <laughs> but I I kind of love it. I love it. it. It You know, obviously it's a crawl, but it also kind of reminded me of this take on a crawl that Solo did that I thought was really fun yeah. and I think is such a gem from, from Solo as a film. Um, but the fact that this was in red, too, very much bringing us back to the end of Clone Wars. Mandalore. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Which, come to think of it, those episodes were called Parts 2, right? Mm-hmm. So... I think we're definitely Dave is definitely alluding to those episodes, right? That that was clearly a choice for him to choose to do the red and to call those last four episodes part one, part two, part three, and four. And the fact that we're kind of doing that again, it feels very important. Like the end of the Clone Wars, that was a huge chapter for Ahsoka, right? We're overlapping with the end of Revenge of the Sith and her starting on to this next chapter in the galaxy after Order 66. So I think it stands to reason that we could potentially be looking at this being the next big chapter in Ahsoka's life and what happens at the end of it and where she is going to next when this series ends. Totally. I think Dave has this knack ever since the end of the Clone Wars or even the end of Rebels, honestly, to alter the beginnings and ends of the way that we uh, bookend series, right? Because remember in Rebels, you know, they started at the in the last season of Rebels, which we're not at in our rewatch. Um, there was 
like a white beginning and a white ending. Mm-hmm. And then when Ahsoka left the Order in the Clone Wars, he didn't do – he like had Kevin Kiner do a different thing than the um, big fanfare that usually plays at the end of every Clone Wars episode because he thought that it like set the tone differently. And then he did the same thing for the end of the Clone Wars, which was like cinematic and it showed – Wasn't there like the early Lucasfilm logo and things like that? I mean, just really cool things that were happening in those series. Of course, like he would change the format a little bit for his series and have this like quasi crawl here. I really liked it. It's funny because I, while I was surprised to see it and was really excited by it, I think I remembered Kathleen Kennedy talking about how the crawl is coming back in during celebration this year Mm -hmm. and how all the movies will have a crawl but I think that the journalist who reported that said that all the movies will have the crawl when actually Kathleen Kennedy said the crawl is coming back and she didn't indicate in the quote that she met films so I feel like we should have known that this was going to happen and it's kind of interesting if you think about it that way but this will not be the last crawl that I think we see in future Disney Star Wars projects yeah and you got to think that right this is leading to Dave Filoni's actual live action movie that Mm -hmm. presumably wraps up the things some of the things happening in the Mandoverse right that's kind of what we think now and I would also say that Ahsoka is probably the most well-known non-cinematic character at this point mm-hmm. uh the most popular i say most popular like i think grogu grogu is a different kind of popularity right mm-hmm. <laughs> i would say that ahsoka is she is the most cinematic is the wrong word but i think you guys know what i'm, what I'm kind of getting at here of she's the most popular most developed most like star wars character at the level of like luke and anakin and leia and padman like all of them you know what i mean and she's kind of worked her way up to that level over the past 15 years so it kind of makes sense to give her a crawl too like if we think of the crawls as belonging to the skywalker saga right she's very much adjacent to that and holds her own outside of the skywalker saga as well it also ends in four dots so what's not to love (laughs) you know in our mandalorian and book of boba fett discussions we kind of just start going through the episodes a little bit more free for all uh, than we do like our typical three-part episode so i think that's kind of what we're gonna do now and i'm sure it will be all over the place (laughs) so (laughs) so should we just start at the beginning of episode one let's do it Okay, so the beginning of episode one really kind of drops us in exactly where that crawl leaves off, just as it should. And we are on, I don't know what ship we're on, but uh, Morgan Elsbeth is being held prisoner, which, number one, I'm so excited that Morgan Elsbeth is in this show. I loved her introduction in The Mm -hmm. Mandalorian. I thought she was such a good villain. And I'm really excited to see more of her. I think Diana Lee and Osanto was so great in The Mandalorian. And the battle, but the fight between her and Ahsoka with the Beskar staff and the lightsaber, was it was so great. I thought it was so cool. Uh, you know, of course, the lightsaber can't break Beskar. It was such like a such a great episode, such a great fight. And the, the sound design mm-hmm. particularly in that battle was really, really cool and really well done. I think it, it won an Emmy or was nominated specifically yeah, for sound design. Right. But uh, I'm really excited to see her back in this role. And again, something that is just really great about the Ahsoka series thus far is just how many women are in it. And we mentioned this at Celebration that this stage had majority of women in it, which is kind of incredible. (laughs) And 
the fact that we now have a woman in again in this villain role, I think it's just great. But the big takeaway, I think, from this opening sequence, right, is the introduction of Balon and Shin and the fact that they uh, use an old Jedi code, but then are quick to, you know, say that they're also not Jedi. But we see that Shin has a Padawan braid. There's a lot of interesting things going on with these two. And I'm excited to see where we're going with them. They seem to follow a lot of tenets of the Jedi, but also they don't. And they're clearly, I, I don't even know if I would necessarily call them darksiders. I think they are, but they haven't described themselves thus. But they're not Jedi. Well, they've said they're not Jedi. Yeah, they've said they're not Jedi. But we know that uh, Hu Yang recognizes Balon's lightsaber. And he was likely trained at the temple and lost after, went somewhere else after Order 66 in the Clone Wars. He survived that. We have no idea where Shin is from. But she's got a Padawan brain and a lightsaber. Um, and we know they say that they're after power or that power is what they would get from Thrawn. We hear them talk about that in episode two. Uh, and Balon is also kind of, he's a little sentimental, I think is the word that Morgan uses at the thought of having to kill Ahsoka since she's a Jedi and there are so few left of them. So there's all this kind of talk around the definition of Jedi. And I think that this is going to be something we are discussing all throughout this series. I think in a lot of ways that's, the point of the series like it's sort of the thesis I mean I think sort of external from the show there's been so much conversation about how Ahsoka defined herself in Rebels as no Jedi right which is exactly how Balin begins this series as well there's an intentional parallel with those two lines but after Ahsoka said that then we see Ahsoka appear in the Mandalorian talking to Luke Skywalker discussing the Jedi arts and things like that. And just knowing that even though Ahsoka walked away from the Jedi Order and she doesn't never finished her training and wasn't a part of the Jedi Order, does that make her any less of the spirit of the Jedi? I think this is a question that will be continually explored throughout the series because I think Dave has a way of taking something that the fandom might have decided is concrete <laughs> and flipping it on its head or exploring it in a vague sort of way that is makes things open for interpretation. It's sort of the reason why Caitlin and I like his work in a lot of ways, because then you can, <laughs> I don't know, it just offers a different, he offers a different perspective often on things that we know and love um, in a deeper way. And I think that he's going to do that with Ahsoka and perhaps Darksiders here as well. I think this definition of Jedi is something that a lot of us were talking about throughout the sequel trilogy and kind of wanting to get to a new definition of what it meant to be a Jedi, to have balance within yourself. And uh, I don't think that the sequel trilogy answered that as well as it could have. And it kind of feels like we might be reopening that discussion when it comes mm -hmm. to the show of Ahsoka. And even thinking about, you know, Balon and Shin, how they fit into this and Sabine as well. How do how does someone like Sabine fit into the vernacular of what it is to be a Jedi and how does Ahsoka for that matter? And I think that to your point about like Dave kind of messing with these definitions or taking something that we think is concrete and kind of flipping it on its head. I think there's a lot to be said, too, for the real world definition of what we want a Jedi to mean, right? And then what they're actually shown to be as imperfect, fallible humans inside of the actual Star Wars universe. But that Ahsoka has always tried to embody those true traits of a Jedi, even if she 
isn't, uh, you know, within the order itself. And does that still mean she's a Jedi? And I think you can look at it and say, yeah, I think so, because she embodies the characteristics we value most. And I think that this is a big part of what she learns and comes to terms with, with the Martez sisters in the Clone Wars, that people have a negative opinion of the Jedi, that they're not living up to their own codes and ethics in the world, and that she doesn't want to be that anymore. She kind of yells that at Obi-Wan <laughs> later on in, in the Siege of Mandalore arc about how um, the Jedi have kind of betrayed the people of of the galaxy too by not living up to what they're supposed to be and that people don't actually like them as much as they thought and she has this whole new understanding of what it of what a jedi is and she's seeing it negatively for the first time and i think her journey and what happens to her is part of her coming to terms with her past and i think it'll be interesting to kind of have this conversation at the end of the ahsoka series to compare it to how we see her act in uh twilight of the apprentice with you know the infamous line i'm no jedi and what she ends up doing throughout the series because she's already we know that she trained sabine in some capacity called her a padawan treat talked about her becoming a jedi being called a master, right? She's still, she's clearly following these tenets of the Jedi Order. Um, but then at the very beginning of episode one, she tells uh, Hugh Yang that she got information out of Morgan by not acting like a Jedi, right? So it, it, there's this interesting push and pull. And I do think she learned that from Anakin and it's something that she has taken with her uh, into the future. But I'm sure it's we'll see her grapple with more of what her past means for how she continues training with Sabine and uh, really brings that Jedi-ness back into her own identity. Mm -hmm. Something, if I could criticize the show a little bit, while I said I'm super all in, I felt like I was really in love with the characters of Sabine and Hera and like everyone who was brought in, Balin and Jen. I'm all in. But I felt like there was something potentially missing with Ahsoka's characterization where I felt like I wasn't completely grabbed by whatever story we're chasing through Ahsoka's eyes in the series that is entitled Ahsoka in these two episodes. And I sort of propose that as a way for me to sort of accept the fact that like that doesn't necessarily have to be in the first episode and we can explore that throughout because the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, so what are, what's going on with Ahsoka here? And I think it, it's sort of addressing what you were talking about, about how we're dealing with this push and pull with her of how she identifies as a Jedi, if she does at all, or with the light side of the force or something. And is the show going to address the fact that she is sort of a lone wolf and like, does she need to be a lone wolf? And is she lost? She has like no sense of home. I think that that was established in these mm -hmm. first two episodes that she's just been kind of riding on the ship forever and Sabine kind of calls her out on that you know like she has no sense of home and when you have no sense of home you have no sense of self in a lot of ways right so I feel like there is I don't know there's something there that needs to be explored further and I hope episodes three and four with Ahsoka about like what does she actually want because yes she wants to find Thrawn yes she wants to find Ezra, sort of. But there has to be something else there. I think there has to be something personal, something bigger, not just a war. There has to be something within. And I don't think 
the show has answered it yet and just want to go back to what I said um, in the very beginning as like a disclaimer in that the show can evolve to sharing what it needs to share. It doesn't have to be super upfront with what it's doing right away. But I think that there has to be a personal reason for this journey. And I'm very excited to see what it is for Ahsoka. And I think that the show needs to give Ahsoka some more moments for the audience to, if this is like their first intro into her, to understand who she is, what her struggles are, and why she would even make a good master for someone like Sabine. Because honestly, I don't know if the show fully in these two episodes address that for me. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I think I think you bring up some really good points and I agree with a lot of them. But I also think that I think that's part of what Ahsoka's journey is gonna be, right? Because if yeah. we look at her entire life as it is right now. I think I think a common critique that a lot of people had of her episode in The Mandalorian was that she seems so stoic and that I, I remember a lot mm-hmm. of people criticizing her kind of uh, like very monotone delivery of lines and stuff like that and people pointing out, you know, this isn't like the Ahsoka, this isn't like snips, right? And yeah, it's, it's not, right? Number one, to your point about there being something personal, when we saw her in The Mandalorian, it's, it's Din and Grogu right there in that story, right? The the moment in those episodes is learning Grogu's name. That's the most personal thing, that moment between Din and Grogu of Din saying his name for the first time, right? We, of course, get a lot with Ahsoka in that episode, but is it personal for her to be going after Thrawn and asking Morgan Elspeth where she is, where he is? I don't think so. It's certainly interesting. It grabbed my attention, (laughs) but it's not personal. And to compare that episode to something like Twilight of the Apprentice, which is the most personal, (laughs) I think, uh, it's, I think there's a clear difference between Ahsoka's uh, characterization in each of those episodes. And there's one, I think that we, I don't want to say gravitate towards more because I loved her appearance in The Mandalorian, but when I think of Ahsoka and the highlights of her story, I'm thinking of Twilight of the Apprentice is probably at the very top of that, honestly, for me. Um, so I think you're right. It, there does have to be something more personal that's coming out of her. We're going to talk about her motivations with Thrawn and Ezra and all of that. But I think that's what's coming because Ahsoka has been on her own for so long. She's been operating as Fulcrum. And I guess like a a fulcrum agent this whole time, uh, solely for the purposes of preventing war, helping with the war effort against the empire, etc. So to see her come through this journey and hopefully have a reckoning with her own past, to come to terms with her past and in doing so forge real relationships with people again, to put down roots somewhere... I think that's where we ultimately leave her, right? Like, what does a happy ending look like for Ahsoka? Um, If we think about the last place we know that she put down roots, it was in the Jedi Order. And that ultimately, utterly betrayed her in the biggest way possible, completely shook her worldview. And then she starts to gain new footing in this new life as Fulcrum. And what does she find out? That the person that she cared for the most probably in the world was Darth Vader. (laughs) Um, And that that would be another reckoning. And it's like, why trust people? Like, I trusted the Jedi. They betrayed me. And she even talks about how much trust she had in Anakin at the end there and that he was the only one that trusted her, right? He's He's the only one on her side. And then to find out years later that that is also a lie is just earth shattering. And so I think that's probably part of what happened between her and Sabine and part of what she has to get over 
and hopefully uh, actually put down roots somewhere and learn to trust people again. I need to go back and watch her conversations again with Luke in The Mandalorian and kind of analyze them again now that we are starting to have the show out. But I kind of think to your point that yes, she needs more of a personal connection, but I think that's what we're getting at. And if the promos for Ahsoka have told us anything, it's that we are going to at least be hearing from Anakin, hearing about Anakin, (laughs) dealing with Anakin. (laughs) Yeah. And hopefully we're going to tap into that Twilight of the Apprentice uh, kind of emotion from her, because Mm -hmm. I do think we Mm -hmm. need to see that again, because it's not, I don't want to say she was unlikable in this episode, but I was like team Sabine. She's kind of grumpy. <laughs> She's grumpy. And I get it. <laughs> and she was like, it's okay to start the story like that. And no, I think totally. it's very like new hope to start like that. Yeah. But I, I think I needed you to talk about this a little bit more for me to like wrestle with it in my brain. So I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I think we're kind of supposed to be team Sabine in a lot of ways. Um, uh-huh. And Ahsoka is the mentor that is like, oh, I wish she had changed and she could make things easier and all this stuff, knowing that, as Hera points out, well, number one, she's a Mandalorian and that's not been Sabine. It's never been Sabine. And uh, you need her, so stop acting otherwise. (laughs) And Ahsoka's just being really stubborn about it and doesn't want to change her way of life because whenever she's done that, she's been kind of so deeply hurt by the Jedi Order and by by Anakin. And who knows what else has happened to her in the interim. But uh, that's a lot to work through. My guess, if I could speculate a little bit, Please. and again, when we put this out, the answer could be right in front of us. But I have to wonder why Ahsoka walked away from Sabine. And to your earlier point about how Anakin was the one that was always in her camp, who was always going to protect you, or protect her. I'll never let anything oh happen no, to you, Ahsoka, never. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she probably walked away the moment she heard about Luke Skywalker. But, oh, that's very interesting. And the timeline would kind of work out, given like l- figuring out Luke's internal rebellion fame after A New Hope and the end of Rebels and things like that. So... I wonder. That's a really interesting speculation. And I think that I think Ahsoka's connection to the Skywalkers is the reason why she was featured in the Book of Boba Fett with Luke Skywalker and why that was pretty meaningful and interesting and thoughtful. And her connection with the Skywalkers is like what makes her so separate from them, but also makes them, I don't know, makes her story so interesting and Do you you think she would have left Sabine thinking she could go train Luke? I don't know if that's where we're headed. I think that they're, I don't know. Maybe that would be crazy. That's, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if she would want that. Would be a good question. Like, I don't think she'd want to train Luke. I think that she'd be scared about that and like nervous about that. Yeah. But I think that she would want to meet him. And especially if she finds out that. They're on the same side. <laughs> what, if she's been running away from, if she's been ignoring, be a big moment. She's been ignoring be her big. past, right? If we're kind of going on the premise that Ahsoka is running away from her problems, um, would she want to go meet Luke? I think that she wouldn't not want to at least observe from a diff, diff, a distance, right? Um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting, an interesting thought to think about. No, it really is. It's a very interesting thought. 
Okay. So while we've talked sort of high level about Ahsoka's appearance in this episode, we really do start with her figuring out, we've seen this in the trailers a bunch of times, like her figuring out this Raiders of the Lost Ark-esque puzzle for her to unlock this key. And it's so cool to see these three gods on the wall holding this like globular thing. And I have to think that this is another iteration of the Mortis gods, even though they all seem female and they're all three. And I can't like not stop thinking about threes and how threes are constantly in Dave Filoni's Star Wars, like the number three. We have three Mortis gods. We have... I always think about how, and I can't remember if Dave actually said this or if I just like am making it up in my brain, but how Anakin Skywalker's like is always surround, like his downfalls, downfalls like a strong word, but he's his three women that he is surrounded by who were like eventually like leave him or leave him. Yes. Leave him. And that would be Shmi. That would be Padme. That would be Ahsoka. And we have threes, like, in the meta sense of, like, the trilogies, obviously. And, like, I don't know. I just feel like the concept of three is just eternal. Seeing this again, there even the – I can't remember what the shape is called, but it's sort of like a Florida Lee that is formed by the three objects as well in order to unlock the key. So many threes. And I just want to put a pin in that. <laughs> I absolutely screamed when we saw these uh, variations of the Mortis gods. I think that's something we talked a ton about with the Mortis gods, seeing them again in Rebels, is that these are the very foundations of the Force in a lot of ways and how that mythology and that belief spread out over the galaxy and was changed based on different cultures and peoples that it came into contact with. And so this is just another version of it, whether or not they're all female, all male, right? I think they're, we've talked before about how there was probably a version where like, the brother and sister were not brother and sister, but lovers. But then we see them as a brother and sister version. Like, right, there are all these archetypes of these characters spread across the galaxy and they come in different forms and versions. So to see it here, I was like, what a great start. This is my show. Let's go. We've arrived. <laughs> Again, I was hitting Chopper like, do you see that? There are three and the little ball is in a different place with the hands. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so ready at some point for Sabine to say, ah, yes, the hands, a language. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I was – when she was trying to figure it out and I was like, oh, my God, this is bringing me back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so sure that she was going to talk about the hands because the way that they're holding the – It's the same as from on the hall in the, the temple. It's just great. Whatever. Okay. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> But I, I loved seeing this planet. I loved this whole opening with Ahsoka. I, I loved it for the Mortis gods themselves or whatever they're called here. Not even for Ahsoka. I think I was more excited about the Mortis element in live action. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. But one thing that I think is fun to bring up is that this planet uh, was an ancient temple built by the Night Sisters of Dathomir. And it was a, a stronghold for the Witches of Dathomir. And the planet's name is Arcana. Arcana. And arcana means deep secret or mystery. But also in tarot cards, there are the major and minor arcana sets. And the major arcana tarot cards, this is a quote from a website called biddytarot.com. They quote their definition about the major arcana is 
The major arcana tarot cards represent life lessons, karmic influences, and the big archetypal themes that are influencing your life and your soul's journey to enlightenment. The major arcana card meanings are deep and complex in beautiful ways. These tarot cards truly represent the structure of human consciousness and hold the keys to life lessons passed down through the ages. And I did a little bit of research on this, and and I'm just saying, but we did a whole series on Obi-Wan Kenobi and how he relates to tarot cards <laughs> archetypes. So I saw this and I was like, once again, this is my show. <laughs> <laughs> on the same page. It's, <laughs> it's, like, it's so wild. But the the tarot cards, the major arcana tarot cards are, I think some people in the past or in other versions have talked about it is like a hero's journey almost. And they're numbered, right? And we didn't really get into this in our Obi-Wan series. So there's I'm kind of going off memory here, so please take this with a grain of salt. But the original like tarot card, like playing card games were all numbered. And so all of the uh, characters uh, relate to a certain number. And I think the fool was like zero or one. And it's kind of about his journey through all of these different stages uh, with the other tarot cards. Um, so kind of all the major ones that I think a lot of people know about, like the fool, the hanged man, the hermit, uh, those are all in the major arcana tarot card deck. Something to take from it, though, is that if this major arcana card uh, represents like your journey to enlightenment, it makes sense that that would be the name of the planet that we start Ahsoka's journey on in the show, mm-hmm. right? That there would be back to our earlier conversation about like what are Ahsoka's motivations, like perhaps enlightenment, perhaps the hero's journey, perhaps. Um, um, unlocking her own consciousness and becoming more self-aware. I don't, I don't, I think don't that's know. Her, I don't think that's her motivation. I think that's what she'll get out of it. I don't think exactly. that's her motivation though. No, no, but it, it's, it's sort of meta. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. It, the things, And it's also witchy. It's witchy. It's very witchy. Yeah. I will say these hodgepodge droids that we see when she comes out of the, when she gets the map are really scary, honestly. And am I crazy? I thought they kind of sounded like Kylo, like the. They're probably Matthew Wood's voice. So it's the same. So that, there we go. You solved it. (laughs) (laughs) He is credited in the credits of this for, for additional voices. So that's exactly what that is. Thank you. I I heard them and I was like, Kylo. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a low voice, (laughs) simply. (laughs) A low, deep voice. (laughs) Yeah. It's very funny. Uh, Another fun tidbit here is that when Ahsoka, after Ahsoka leaves the temple and she is called back to basically by Hera uh, because Morgan Elspeth has been uh, broken out of prison, uh, her clearance code to get onto the New Republic ship is T6-1974, which would be T6, 1974. Dave Filoni was born in June of 1974. That's kind of fun. So we, I, I one day hope I have a clearance code with my birthday or something related to me because that's what I would do too. Totally. Okay. So I feel like we've kind of been a little bit all over the place here in the beginning. We're still in the very beginning of episode one if you're <laughs> keeping track. But Ahsoka arrives onto, uh, I don't know what this ship is called, but it's the New Republic ship that Morgan Elsbeth was held on or, or another New Republic ship. And this is our introduction to Hera. I don't think she'd been a hologram before this, but this is her introduction here. Uh, full flesh. We see her. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I 
loved her Hera. And she was yeah. probably the one I was worried most about, honestly, because I think Vanessa Marshall has such a strong um, presence, like her vo- her motherly voice and not even motherly, but just her her voice has such a warmth and a tone to it in Rebels that it's so specific to the characterization of Hera that I, Hera was the character I was worried most about seeing translated to live action. And I was truly blown away by uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's, can I just say Mary? Uh, Mary's performance. I really thought mm-hmm. it was great. And I could really tell that she really studied Vanessa Marshall's performance in Rebels. Like I said at the top of the show, this really feels like Rebels leaping off of animation into live action. Like they feel so seamless to me um, in a way I don't think I've experienced in other Star Wars that has kind of had these uh, transitions with live action characters and animation characters too. I thought she did such a great job with, again, that warmth and intonation that I think is so well known from from animated Hera, from Vanessa Marshall, that I was immediately sold. And this whole scene with Ahsoka uh, telling Hera about the map, and I was kind of on the edge of my seat about if Hera would bring up Ezra in this scene, because I think right in the Obi-Wan show, a lot of us were waiting for that Sabine or Satine mention and it didn't come. (laughs) And I was like, are we going to get an Ezra mention like right off the bat here? Is like, is that coming right now? I don't know. I was just kind of interested to see what would happen. But Hera's performance in this scene where you see her kind of hesitating to even mention Ezra because she doesn't want to be let down by Ahsoka's response. That's kind of how I interpreted that moment. I thought was so well done. And I can't remember the exact dialogue, but uh, I think she says something like, you know, that's not possible for Thrawn to be alive. And Ahsoka says something like, maybe, but our enemy believes he is. And then she pauses for a minute and responds back with like, so dot, 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 Ezra. And I just, I, I was like, yes, (laughs) I'm emotional with you, Hera. I just really loved it, and she worked so well for me, especially later on in the episodes when she's kind of mentoring both Ahsoka and Sabine and are counseling them in their relationship. I was like, wow, this is Hera. This is truly Hera. I totally agree. Yeah, she nailed it. And her voice and the intonations, especially in episode two where she's flying with Chopper and we have the Chopper introduction. It's like literally amazing. I was also sort of nervous about her performance just because I just wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure. Those nerves like completely melted away, like basically immediately. And I think sort of every scene she's in is made better because she's in it. And I am very excited to be obsessed. (laughs) Also, I think it should be noted if you don't know when you're listening to this, but Mary Elizabeth Winstead is, I can't remember if they're married, but her partner is Ewan McGregor. So it's all in the family. And I think that's cute. (laughs) So I, um, I love that she is our space bomb. That's the best. And I think that there's, we even, I'm just, sorry, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I'm just like very happy that the immediate mention of Ezra was great and the way that she approached it was awesome. The way that you, you were just talking about that, but then also like her mothering Sabine later and like giving her the pep talk that she needs to, it was just, it was so seamless and it really felt 
so perfect. Yeah, I I will say also in regards to like Hera and Sabine is that Charlotte and I are continuing our Rebels rewatch right now also. And just the other day, actually, I rewatched, I made it to uh, the Darksaber episode, Trial of the Darksaber, right? Uh, with Trials. Trials. I never get it right. Yeah. The Darksaber episode. <laughs> Uh, I also mess it up with Twilight of the Apprentice. I always say twi- Trials of the Apprentice, and it's Twilight of the Apprentice. <laughs> but the episode with the Darksaber where Sabine is training with the Darksaber, I think that's a really important episode to watch coming into Ahsoka, honestly, because the way that Kanan and Hera and Ezra and Sabine all talk about her training like a Jedi is so interesting and fascinating given all of the discourse that has kind of surrounded the potential of Sabine being force sensitive or being trained by a Jedi, being called a Padawan, etc. Which we can talk about later. But what I wanted to point out is from that episode of Rebels, the Darksaber episode, Hera talking to Kanan about Sabine is very reminiscent to me of how Hera is talking to Ahsoka about Sabine. Because in that episode from Rebels, Sabine, what she ultimately is overcoming is her grief of abandonment from her family, uh, from the rest of Clan Wren, the Mandalorians. And I won't go into the whole backstory there. Don't want to muddle what I'm talking about enough already, but um, it's really about her coming to terms with that uh, feeling of grief and anger at what happened with her family and feeling the responsibility to taking on the responsibility to lead or even to wield the dark saber. And I think that's kind of, and, and Hera kind of coaches Kanan through that to be like, you're not looking at the bigger picture here, Kanan. It's not. You don't need to coddle her or anything like that. You need to be there for her as she works through what's going on and what's happened to her in the past. And that's ultimately what Kanan does. And I bawled like a baby at the end of that episode because Kanan basically like kneels before Sabine as she has the Darksaber. And he's like, you don't have to worry about your other family might have abandoned you, but this family will stand by you no matter what. And I was like, no, no, cut it out. Um. But I honestly think that that is what Hera takes on a very similar role. Um, Even in the Darksaber episode, Hera is talking to Kanan through hologram mostly. She's not actually like physically present in the episode. And that's a lot of what she's doing in episode two of Ahsoka as well, uh, both to Sabine and to Ahsoka and kind of coaching them through the fact that they do in fact need each other. And it just having watched the Darksaber episode so recently, I was like, wow, this this matches up so perfectly. And one thing I always forget is that Dave wrote that episode, the Darksaber episode. So all of this is, again, clicking into place for me in a way it really hadn't before. And I I never put Darksaber in my list of like Dave Filoni written episodes. For some reason, it just kind of I, it's a fun fact I never remember, <laughs> but I think it's a really important uh, episode to be rewatching right now, actually. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Sabine, since we're talking about Sabine, let's move on to Sabine. Sabine's entrance is so iconic and perfect in this series. Like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. We have a bespoke original song <laughs> that <laughs> exists and I just am obsessed. I think that having, um, sorry, before we dive too deep into Sabine though, we should probably talk about how we are on Lothal and it looks amazing. It's straight from animation, but is realistic. And we see 
characters that we've know from Rebels, but like it's it's so crazy. Like I mentioned, we see Ryder, then Jai Kel is now a senator and he has like a little moment. So, <laughs> so great. Seeing the the mural also as like a backdrop, I don't know, it's it's fantastic. And seeing how Lothal like celebrates every year the bravery of Ezra and the rebels, it's just so cool. And I love that Sabine didn't show again with the stubbornness of what we were talking about with Ahsoka and how they're sort of similar there. Um, but the entrance is so great. The music is just like <laughs> I don't I can't get over it. It's so perfect. I am so obsessed with live action Lothal. I'm ready to name this my favorite planet. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. 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 I, wow. I'm so hyper fixated on the grass and how good it looks. <laughs> it really looks so good. You're so right. <laughs> so obsessed <laughs> with it. It's not even funny. <laughs> I just think Lothal <laughs> looks incredible. And uh, yeah, it just the, the grass and the Loth cats. I'm like, wow, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> and it it's feels so true. It feels so good. And I'm like, this is a planet I really know really well. And it's just, it's really exciting to see it in live action and to see it done so well and to see it thriving too. I think that's so cool. And this was something that um we were always talking about with the end of Rebels is the fact that you know, in the epilogue that Sabine Tia Sakar does, you know, it talks, she talks about how the empire never came back to Lothal and Lothal just like started to thrive through the end of the war. And to see it, to see Ryder Azadi is still there. I was like, Ariana, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was so shook <laughs> to see Ryder Azadi. But of course he's there. I it know. makes so much sense. Like, why didn't we think about that? Oh, we're going to Lothal. Like we wouldn't see the that it, like mainstays of Lothal, of course we would. I, I was and, like every time someone like Jai Cal, I was like, oh, my Jai Cal, when did you get here? <laughs> yeah. And a senator? Like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, wow, all these, like, it's, they're all the gangs all here, except for some of the gang, yeah. not all of the gangs here. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to find the rest of the gang. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> but I also, I find it, I think it's good to note too that uh, Sabine's mural has been moved into an actual, like um, an actual monument on Lothal. It seems like it's a place that people can go and visit. And I'm curious to see her, what her role on Lothal has been really since the end of the war, since the Empire left uh, Lothal, because it's clear she's like well known. I think we've we've talked about the fact that uh, it appears that Sabine stayed on Lothal uh, at, to like help protect it after the Empire left. Although now with the Ahsoka show, it feels like she did leave for some period of time, perhaps, and then came back and has been living there full time. Um but I wonder how she feels about her mural becoming a monument and everything that's kind of happened since of her public role. It doesn't seem to me clearly that that's something she wants necessarily since she didn't show up to the ceremony. But it seems like she has such a warmth about her and like with the relationships with other people, like when Ryder uh, sees her come up after Ahsoka comes and she's he's like, you missed it. But and she's like, oh, sorry. But he he doesn't scold her. He's like, you were missed. It's clear that she has community there, which I think is great. But I think that Sabine stole the show. I, I We've talked a lot about Ahsoka and Hera so far, but I truly think that Sabine, Natasha, Liz Berdi Natasha Lou Berdizzo is the standout of these episodes. She totally. nails it 100%. 
her characterization of Sabine, again, feels like she's really studied Tia Sakar's performance and her movements. Everything feels straight from Rebels. And there's such a life to her and the way that they've even done all the set dressing and production design around things with, you know, where she's living in the communications tower and her speeder. It's also perfect, and she really embodies it so well. And the physicality of her is really great, too. The scene uh, where she's fighting the two droids, you know, before Shin arrives, and they do the lightsaber battle, I was like, this is Sabine. Like, I can so see this playing out in Rebels and the way that she's able to get, like, pull one over them uh, and fight her way out from these, like, really intense droids that even gave Ahsoka a run for her money, uh, I thought was incredible. And I really think that she is the character people are going to come out of these first two episodes absolutely loving. I totally agree. And I'm like so excited about it mm-hmm. because she's so cool. The moment you introduce Sabine to someone who doesn't know Rebels really well, you realize how like as, as much as I've said this a thousand times, Sabine is my favorite character from Rebels. And you, she just checks a lot of extremely cool boxes. Mm-hmm. She's an artist. She's the Mandalorian. She left the Mandalorian. She used to be part of the Imperial Academy. She's obsessed with explosives. She wielded the dark saber at one point. She found like, the dark saber. It's just insane. <laughs> <laughs> I I was telling my mom that, and she was like, "Wait, what?" I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really cool." She's such and- a. It's so great to see her too because what she represented in Rebels as being this artist with like graffiti and that vibrancy is still not that common in Star Wars. Yeah. You have characters that are like have an explosion of color in their mm-hmm. wardrobe and around them. So she's very totally. different in that sense too, even today. Yeah. Speaking of color, I will say something that's so great about Lothal is I felt like it was so bright and vibrant. And yeah, you talked about the the grasses, but like, dang, the skies. Mm -hmm. It was just wonderful. How has it taken us an hour (laughs) to talk about the Lothcast? Oh my my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This kitten is the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. I need a plush immediately uh, of this specific one. Um, I can't handle it. He's the cutest. The cutest. I literally couldn't stop thinking about him after I finished it. Why does he not have a name? A tragedy. (laughs) We need – who do I need to write to get this named? And maybe by the time that this episode can be public and on our feed and everything, he will have a name and we'll all be like screaming and shouting about it together. I'm so jubilant and happy that this this cat has a name. (laughs) I'm just picturing like – I'm picturing us going off of hiatus, dropping like a ton of episodes, and then also the cat has a name, and like that's the thing that I'm excited the most for. I'm excited to put out all these episodes, and people can go back and listen and be like, wrong, 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 wrong. Yeah, I love that. Uh, it's great. <laughs> it's really kind of bringing me back to our Andor uh, recording, our ill-fated Andor recording. Oh my god! Schedule. I'm not going to get into it here, guys. You can go back and listen if you're really that into. No, or I mean, or like even further back, but how wrong we were about the rise of Skywalker. I mean, I still cringe. Okay, but, that's, but we were so we were hurt, right about that's some hurtful. things. Um, the Andor yeah. stuff was funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Bring back to keeping my expectations in check because I've been burned before. That's what I was referring. That's burned. I just didn't correct. Cheryl's like, oh no, that other time we were super wrong. Well, we've been. 
I just have to defend us. We were pretty right, but at what cost? <laughs> anyway. That, that's the real question. Um, we're often yeah. wrong in speculation, but that's part of the fun. But usually exactly. our speculation comes out before the next movie or next episode. So it's all in good jest, but we'll see what happens here with Ahsoka. Right. But okay, I Lothcat's though. Yeah, I mean the Lothcat, the fact that he's got a little food bowl, that he has opinions about people and things. I don't know anything he likes besides Sabine. <laughs> when when the droids came and I the the cat reacted, I thought the cat got shot and I was I was, oh I was really nervous. Dave would never. Dave wouldn't do that. No, he, he wouldn't would. do that. He would. <laughs> Be like, well, you know, there are there are a million cats on the hall. <laughs> she could just, get another, just get another one. No, no, no. This one is what matters. <laughs> this, is our, this is our collective loft cat. This is our cat. <laughs> the name, damn it. I think uh, we were talking about this with some of our other friends, and Brandon from Talking Bay ninety four said that the cat's name was Baby, which. Is, is the cat is named baby? It is baby. Cat is baby. So baby. Cat, cat is, is baby. baby. Yeah, and he's his so little, baby. His little like webbed duck cat feet are just so yeah. cute. Uh, I, My mom was like, "That's like chickeny." I was like, "It's chicken." No, <laughs> it's chickeny. No, it's like unique it. to a loft cat. Okay, <laughs> it's a cute, <laughs> yeah. a cute cuddly loft cat that we've seen often physically attack Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just love it. The question that I'm asking is, are we going to see a white Lothcat in this series slash Loth Wolf slash Bendu? Yes, yes, no. All right. Well, my order of what I what I my wish list, right? If I've got to prioritize, it's it's Bendu, white Lothcat, white Loth Wolf, Lothcat. Really? Yeah. I mean, Loth Wolf is lower than. White Lothcat, despite seeing already seeing Lothcats <laughs> of numerous colors. <laughs> you already have one Lothcat. You need another. And it's not just one. Like we saw some in the brush too. Yeah, we've seen a good number of these cats. Yeah. But yeah, no. So you're saying that you want to see a specifically white one the before white you one. see. Yeah, the white one a, is the important one. A great, like a Caleb Doom esque wolf. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. You're really drawing that line in sand. I am just not with you. We are not on the same page. (laughs) I well, because because I have a white loft cat, and I feel like he would want to see himself on screen. You know. Yeah. And okay. Well, I would. I will say I want to see a convoy. So. Yeah. If we are introducing that, I would like to see. We're definitely see a convoy. I think a convoy is a given. Okay. Well, I think. Lothwolf was a given. Okay, well, I, I didn't mean it to sound like antagonistic. It's a, a battle. <laughs> you were like, well, I think a white Lothwolf is. <laughs> I meant that to like support you. <laughs> like, we're definitely mm-hmm. going to see a convoy. Aren't you excited? Uh, I'm very excited. I'm looking at my plush right now. Yeah. I'm pumped. See, I have a white Lothcat plush. That's why I want to see it. I have a wolf one too. So. Okay. Well, it's all, it's all, it all makes sense. <laughs> It all makes sense. But I don't have those Bendu plush, and I hope if Bendu is in oh, here, what we- the hell, Lucasfilm? Why? <laughs> why don't you make a Bendu plush? <laughs> I want a Bendu plush that you squeeze, and it just says these idioms <laughs> out of it. <laughs> 
I, 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 okay, to be serious for a moment though, I do think a convoy will happen because yeah. she's become such, the convoy has become such a, a companion to Ahsoka that I'm honestly surprised we didn't kind of see it outside of the Mortis uh, temple, the Dathomir temple, or even kind of keeping tabs a little bit with like Morgan Elsbeth and the Dathomir stuff. Uh, it feels like we could have seen one somewhere in these episodes, but I absolutely think we will see one at some point. She has a name, I think we're right? working up to it. And I think if we... Morai. Yeah, sorry. Morai. Yeah. I think if we want to be specific, I think that it's interesting that a convoy was around Bendu in Rebels and it was like a brown convoy and then Ahsoka has Morai and then I don't know. I just think that if Ahsoka is perhaps analogous to the daughter in the Mortis gods there's a lot there i can't even get into it right now but <laughs> um i think if we are going with the concept that ahsoka is stubborn and a little lost in the beginning i don't think it makes sense for morai to be here to show up it will i don't think it makes sense for morai to show up until some things are resolved if until we dive into the weird force stuff it just doesn't make sense character wise and i would love to see another convoy, not just Morai, but like maybe one representing the dark side. Maybe that's Balin. Mm. That would be super cool to me. If she, if he's now son. Yeah. I mean like that would be crazy. I still, okay. So here's a good time and opportunity to share what I haven't shared on the podcast that has been my pet theory about Balin and Chin okay. for months. Okay, go. Caitlin is so sick of hearing about this. <laughs> I've got a glass of wine. It's fine. Go for it. <laughs> I really think that the existence of Balin and Shin is analogous to Anakin and Ahsoka and that Balin is supposed to represent perhaps a former Jedi that with his apprentice and like you're supposed to look at Balin and Shin and think like, oh, that could have been Anakin and Ahsoka. And what does that represent? How is that like an anima for Ahsoka, how is that and relating to Ahsoka's journey as training Sabine or how she sees herself as a master if she's looking at like a mirror of her what could have been with her master had he not turned to the dark side or had not, you know, burned up and turned into Darth Vader. <laughs> right. I think that I, I think that Dave to a crisp. <laughs> well, because I think if you ask yourself, like, if you're being serious, like, you ask yourself, why would Dave bring on this like dark side character with an apprentice that's a a young girl? I think it really brings back some thoughts about the like what if concept with Anakin and Ahsoka. Say Order sixty six had happened and it wasn't Anakin's doing; it was something else. It was somebody else. Like if Anakin like walked away, like would Ahsoka had follow? Like what would that have looked like? And I think that we're seeing that in a mirror sense with Balin and Shin. And this is loose. Obviously, the show like just started, but I swear this is like what I thought was going to happen from a long time ago when they introduced these characters because it's a lot of characters to introduce that are new and you have to wonder like what is the character motivation for doing that and like how does this relate to our protagonist and to me I think it's very clear that those two characters are somehow related to how we understand Ahsoka's relationship to Anakin. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I was thinking about that a lot when I was watching it. What I thought was interesting, though, is that uh, Sabine and Shin make very similar mistakes in these episodes. Uh, So I think there's also something to be said for then the other side of it of, you know, Ahsoka and Sabine, Balin and Shin, and those comparisons with each other. Yeah, and Balin, you know, in the promos that we've seen, Balin knows Anakin, and he references Anakin, Mm -hmm. assuming that scene happens. Again, I've been burned before, but (laughs) I think it will. (laughs) Uh, You know, talking about Anakin, uh, seemingly to Ahsoka. uh, But, yeah, I think you're on the right track. There's a reason there are these foils in place, and... Who knows what we'll see? I think in thinking about these kind of parallels and bringing in something that is so similar that could have been a version of Anakin and Ahsoka's trajectory if they had survived Order 66 together and if Anakin hadn't fallen to the dark side, I think this is a good time to also point out that right in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, we have kind of the parallel of the scene of Twilight of the Apprentice with Anakin and Obi-Wan. And there was a very specific reason why they were drawing your mind back to Twilight of the Apprentice. And I think, again, here it's specific that we have another master and apprentice who are Jedi, aren't Jedi follows some of the Jedi tenants and training, but not all of it. And that was kind of Anakin and Ahsoka. I mean, that was Anakin, right? He (laughs) did things when they worked for him. (laughs) Uh, But then we're also seeing that with Sabine and Ahsoka as well. So I think all of these things are meant to kind of reference each other, right? It's it's poetry, it rhymes, that nonsense we always talk about. But it's it's true. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's also the t- title of the first episode exactly. is Masters and Apprentices. You're supposed to think about these reflections and think about what it means to train someone, to mentor someone, to be a father figure, to be a mother figure for someone younger than you or your apprentice or something. And how that affected Ahsoka certainly is relevant. And I'm really excited to see how... I continue to think about this, but I've been obsessed with this for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I think it is sort of the key to unlocking Ahsoka talking about Anakin through Balin because he's the person that could potentially, like, as we know, Darksiders tell the truth. So he could be the person who can, when they eventually duel, if they do have that in common as two masters at this point in the show, um, he could be the person to draw that out of her and to experience whatever they're, she's going to reveal and work on internally about her past relationship with Anakin. I, I agree. I think he'll be the person to do that. Can we yeah. take a moment to pause and talk about the trailer with Anakin, Hayden Christensen, voiceover? Yes. Uh, I don't even need to say anything. That's it. That's all I can say. It was... <laughs> boy. Oh, boy. Um, I was so rocked by that. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, I can't wait. I can't believe they gave us that nugget. It makes sense, sort of, but, like, it didn't exist in these first two episodes. So, like, how soon are we getting Hayden Christensen? Oh, my God. (laughs) I, as you guys know, for a lot of big things that have happened in Star Wars, usually it's been Charlotte calling me and I've had my phone on Do Not Disturb. But Charlotte was at the Jonas Brothers concert when this clip came out. And so I was the one texting nonstop and I didn't want to spoil it. But I was like, I'm so many text messages. I was like, I know you're at the Jonas Brothers concert, but could you please leave? (laughs) And I'm following her on Find My Friends. And I'm like, when the hell is she going to get home? What is she doing? Is she a snail? What is she doing? 
everyone knows how insane it is to leave a concert yeah. and like that's what and like your phone isn't connecting right because you're with like a big crowd of people and that's what was happening and it was just like insane and then I got in a cab on the way home after walking my friend home and I was like all right I have 57 missed texts <laughs> from Caitlin something happened it's time to go and it was hating Christensen. I mean, that was insane. I, that was so crazy. I and I just can't wait. it because I wasn't sure if she'd be able to get on the internet when she was walking home or whatever. It was it was so needed because I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, speaking of translations from animation to live action, Hayden Christensen in this TV spot clearly has spent a lot of time with Matt Lantner's Anakin because yeah. I saw some reactions to it, even questioning if it was Hayden Christensen or if they had like melded their voices or something. And I was like, no, this is 100% Hayden Christensen. And he clearly uh, has, he's been influenced a lot by Matt Lantner's excellent portrayal of Anakin Skywalker as well. And that last line that he says <laughs> in this TV spot where it's like, what is the line? He goes, I know you can do this, Ahsoka. Full body chills. It sounded like everything I've ever hoped Hayden Christensen would sound like when talking about Ahsoka. And it sounded like Matt Lantner's version and that kind of warmth that Matt Lantner brought to Clone Wars Anakin mixed with Hayden Christensen's Anakin. It was so good. It really was. It it was sort of life-changing. I'm not going to lie. But I think we should table... The Hayden Christensen combo for when it actually happens. Yeah, we just, I, you know. You had to get it out of the way. I understand. (laughs) It was simmering and it must, it had to come out. I I, like want to pause our recording and watch it again, but. (laughs) (laughs) The show must go on. (laughs) Okay, something I think was really cool is how they interwove Morgan Elsbeth's, like she's sort of a completely different character from what we saw in the Mandalorian and she has become exponentially more witchy and I think that's really cool that she deals with fate versus the force and she mentions this a couple times you know fate will decide their next move like fate says this I think that's really neat and I I'm very excited for the like the definition of like her exploring fate as a motivation versus the force and like we can think about things a little differently even though I think they're kind of the same right but I liked that. A lot of the things that she was saying were like witchy and spooky, and I enjoyed that. Toil and trouble. Mm, toil and trouble. Uh, yes. Very toily, very troubly. Bubbly, cauldrons, Macbeth, mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah, I really loved this because I think this is such a specific word choice to use fate. And I would love, I need to go back and watch some of the Dathomir episodes again of Clone Wars and see how they talk about the force and magic. They definitely talk about magic in those episodes. I can't remember if they talk about fate in the same way that Morgan Elizabeth has. But this thing that we're kind of, we haven't really touched on at all so far, which is surprising, also not surprising because we've been a bit all over the place in this episode, is the fact that we're, there's another galaxy and (laughs) we could be going to that other galaxy and that's supposedly where Thrawn is. And it made me wonder that my kind of wild speculation was that the witches of Dathomir are actually originally from this other galaxy. And so the force to them is not the force, it's fate and magic. And that's how it has materialized in their galaxy. And they somehow ended up here or other people uh, ended up in the Star Wars galaxy and introduced this concept of fate to to the Dathomirians or something like that. 
I just think this is so wild. I don't think I ever would have guessed that they would have really been like, yeah, another galaxy. What did you think? Okay. You know what I thought? <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell me. We actually I haven't talked think- about this. I wasn't that – it seems like you were very surprised by this, but I just wasn't. It kind of makes sense for us to expand further than that. And I know that there's been so much, like, talk and thrown – like, it was, it's was. it been thrown around so much that this show is going to deal with the world between worlds. And I was like, what's bigger than the world between worlds? Probably in the next galaxy or, like, traveling to the next galaxy. We've already seen the um, space whales in The Mandalorian. We know that that's probably going to be in this in some way. When it comes to the Purgles – we know that purgles have been used for hyperspace travel for years, that they can go wherever. It just sort of makes sense that if the purgles are going to be part of this and continue to be part of Ezra and Thrawn's story, that it's probably really far away. And yeah, probably mm-hmm. another galaxy. So I think this is extremely cool and very different. But what I really thought about was the whole um, extreme weird journey that happens to Lasan in rebels oh my when God. we go back to Zeb's homeworld and I was like that is such a trippy episode mm-hmm. and when they talked about the I you know this is all such new terms for us um what is it called the path of Peridia 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 I think path to Peridia per- yeah Peridia I, again, new term. We're going to have a proper pronunciation next time we talk. But um, all of that, I was like, okay, so I'm imagining that that mm-hmm. is going to look similar to what we experienced with Zeb mm-hmm. and the Lasats and going to Lasan and things like that. I think this is a really good time actually to talk about like the weirdness and the weird force stuff that like could potentially happen. So we hear about the pathway to Peridia, which is like so cool. And the quote is, the pathway to Peridia and Morgan goes, some call it that. And he goes, the children of the Jedi called it that. It comes from old stories, fairy tales. And she goes, tales which are based on truth. Okay. This is very reminiscent of The Force Awakens to me <laughs> in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, of like, it's true, all of it. But when I was digging into the word peridia, it really reminded me of the word, the Latin word perdita, which means lost. So like that tracks, right? Mm-hmm. If we're If that's the origin of it, then yeah, it's like the lost pathway or like the hidden pathway or Mirkwood in The Hobbit, which we all know Dave is like a huge Tolkien fan. I think it's really interesting that we're going to go this way or like go down this route of having like a hidden pathway, a hidden hyperspace lane maybe, something like that, which is something we've seen actually in the High Republic. I even looked up what the word peridia means and it means the distinct outer layer of a spore-bearing organ <laughs> and in many fungi. So it's super random, but like the it's galaxy, an outer layer. So it's like... big mushroom. Yeah, you know what, maybe. And I think that this is interesting given the fact that like what I took from that is outer layer. So we're like further away. Yeah. So um, lost uh, pathway, this hidden pathway, super far away. And I think that title really works. But we're really introducing some really cool upcoming story elements, I think, uh, <laughs> that are particularly weird and foresee. I'm very ready for it. And it's interesting you say that phrase of further out because that brings up the next point that we are going to talk about, which is this connection to the Chronicles of Narnia series when it comes to the world between worlds. Because in the last battle, which is the last uh, book in the Chronicles of Narnia series canonically, there's a saying in there as they're going, the characters are going further up into Aslan's land called Further Up and Further In. 
which kind of reminds me the, the way you said that about the outer layer being further away. And if we're following this lost path further in to a neighboring galaxy, further up and further in, just anyway, <laughs> it reminded me of that. Um, but, you know, we've talked a ton about the world between worlds. And I think what kind of surprised me about the other galaxy of it was this concept of time travel, which has always been kind of front and center when we've talked about the world between worlds. And Morgan says that she can hear Thrawn calling to her across time and space. And you and I have always kind of maintained that the world between worlds is not time travel in the way that we tend to think of it in other stories. And I think Dave has even said, you know, specifically about Ahsoka, that she is not time traveling. She is taken out of time and then put when she enters into the world between worlds and then put back into that same moment uh, later on when she survives the crash uh, or the destruction of the temple on Malachor. Going back to the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the books in there called The Magician's Nephew, um, a big set piece of The Magician's Nephew is kind of, it's this forest and the forest has all of these portals into other worlds, basically. And The Magician's Nephew is kind of about the creation of Narnia, the land of Narnia. And so these kids in this story, they kind of see the creation of other worlds in this forest. And this is kind of how I've always thought about the world between worlds is this is very similar to The Magician's Nephew. But it's been a minute since I've actually read The Magician's Nephew. And so there were a lot of details about it I couldn't remember when it came to this this forest that had all these portals to other worlds and stuff like that. And so I was going back through and looking at the summary of it. And this forest in The Magician's Nephew is called The Wood Between Worlds. <sighs> you hear it, right? <laughs> Like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a really big Narnia fan. It was probably my favorite series growing up. So the fact that I, <laughs> for years now, <laughs> have never revisited the magician's nephew enough to make this connection of the wood between the worlds to the world between worlds, even though this is how I've always thought of the world between worlds. <laughs> I've, I've always been like, oh, it reminds me of the magician's nephew, but have never picked up to the wood between the I'm just I'm angry at myself honestly um and it's funny too because when we had Anne Convery aka Dave Filoni's wife on our show a couple years ago we actually talked about C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia when we were talking about her short story um I can't remember what it's called isn't it just called Bug it's called Bug and it's about a forgotten Dathomiri witch important to know love to see it Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) the wood between worlds. um, But the wood between worlds, it's it is this place out of time. And that's kind of how it's described in the book. And the kids, when they are in this forest setting, they have these magic rings that will take them into a world and then will also take them out of a world as well. Uh, they need both. It's like a green and a yellow ring. Like the green is is to enter a world and the yellow is to exit or it might be the other way around. Um, but they go into these other worlds and they end up bringing uh, other characters back with them. And one of them is actually an evil witch named Jadis, I believe is her name, or she was an evil queen or something like that. And kind of the ramifications of what happens when they bring her back to the wood between the worlds and what they're going to do with her. And uh, when they see the creation of uh, the land of Narnia. And anyway, this feels like a clear uh, 
connection and inspiration to me of the world between worlds with the wood between the worlds. <laughs> and I think that's important uh, to think about as we're thinking about what is coming next for the actual world between worlds, if it even becomes comes to be called something else in the future and how the concept of it is kind of expanded out, right? Because when Dave talks about the world between worlds in Rebels, he talks about it as this place that Ezra has been before, but he just didn't realize it, right? Like in multiple seasons throughout Rebels, Ezra hears the voice of Yoda. Then he sees the image of Yoda. Then he actually, and, and Yoda is speaking to him, I think Dave implies, through the world between worlds. And then Ezra actually enters into the world between worlds in those infamous episodes at the end of season four. Uh, but Ezra has already been there before but it was kind of through this process of enlightenment that he is able to fully see it, if that makes sense. And I think that's how we kind of always envisioned uh, like Ray and, and Ben Solo entering into the world between worlds, that it would look different for them. Because also to bring it back to Narnia, Aslan tells the kids in, in various adventures that they can get into Narnia, but they can never get in the same way twice. So there's always these different pathways into Narnia. And then I think we can also kind of apply that to the world between worlds here. And so perhaps how Ahsoka experiences the world between worlds now in this story is different and I wonder how it will change based perhaps on her level of enlightenment and her connection to the force in various uh, situations. I was just as you were talking reading the Wikipedia page for The Magician's Nephew. It's been a while. I took a Tolkien class in college and then we also read C.S. Lewis because they're contemporaries and rivals and best friends and it goes way back. <laughs> and, um, I read all the Chronicles of Narnia in like an academic sense. And it's so it's been a while, but um, I was reading the Wikipedia page and it mentions Morgan Le Fay, which is based off of the Arthurian legend with Morgan, who was an enchantress, a witch within the King Arthur story. Right. So I think it's just something to put a pin in really with the concept of Morgan Elsbeth. And I remember her name be feeling random when we watch the first episode of The Mandalorian with her in it. And it sort of makes sense now that she is a Death of Mary witch. And I can understand that name origin a little bit more, especially with the like, I think I was just telling Caitlin, it's pretty common for Morgana to be a witchy name. So yeah. I don't know why we've never mentioned that before, but just something to put a pin in. Well, I will also say if we're thinking about like names and what they remind us of. So Morgan Elizabeth, whenever I hear her last name Elizabeth, I always think Elizabethan, which then is Shakespearean time, which then if we go back to Macbeth and the Witches of Macbeth, totally. right? Like it's all connected. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the point is of me reading that definition of like Peridia too. I think all this is very, very um, purposeful. Even Hera's name, I feel like we haven't dove too deep into that name before. But I mean, Hera is like a goddess name and the wife of Zeus, right? So yeah. I think that if you wanted to explore that further, which I don't, I honestly don't think we have time today to do that, but <laughs> maybe in another episode we'll do that. I think it's the point is names have meaning, words have meaning, and I don't think any of this is lost on Dave Filoni and like this being his um, magnum opus, basically. Yeah, no, I agree. 
So to think of another kind of wordplay and kind of unpacking a word a little bit more on this topic of the world between worlds and and transportation, we see Morgan Elsbeth at the end of episode two, uh, after they've taken the hyperdrive from this specialty hyperdrive from Karelia that Ahsoka and Hera tried to stop and couldn't, uh, we see this being installed onto a ship called the Eye of Scion. And this you mentioned this. This looks like something that could be straight out of the High Republic, this ship. It also feels kind of reminiscent of Dryden Voss's ship from Solo, but honestly, it feels more in line with the High Republic to me than than even yeah. Dryden Voss's ship. That gold, that kind of art deco, but also very like sparse too. It feels, mm-hmm. I feel like I could see Marky and Roe uh, on this, like the Nile ship. Um, their ships were, his ship was called the Eye, right? We're not. Well, a, no, he is the eye. He is the, the ship eye. is not. He oh, is yes, the eye. He's the eye. We are yeah. not at all caught up on the High Republic at this point. I'm just gonna. You're at up. this point more caught up than me, which is like insane. I am. I am. But uh, <laughs> we're also in phase two right now, which does not have the eye. Doesn't exist yet, so I'm pretty far removed from it. But you're right. Yes. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with the High Republic, 100% recommend it. It's a great series, but it takes place what 500 years before. The Phantom Menace. Menace. And it's about the downfall of the Jedi in that time period. And the Jedi's main adversary, I don't want to go too deep into it, but the Jedi's main adversaries are not Darksiders or Sith or or anyone like that. It's this group called the Nile, a play on nihilism. And they they are ruthless and they are beating the Jedi so badly mm-hmm. and this is like the golden age this is the actual golden age of the jedi and they are being quite literally massacred by the nile who have no force powers or anything like that and the nile are run by this guy named markion or marchion depending on who you talk to markion Rowe, and he is like this masked man who is pure evil and he rules with an iron fist. He's called the Eye. Uh, there's a lot of um, symbolism with storms and clouds and thunders. It's like how the Nile categorized themselves. And he is the Eye, the Eye of the Storm. And a big part of the High Republic is transportation through hyperspace and the creation of hyperspace lanes, which also feels super important <laughs> when we're talking about the Purgles and uh, the lost path and going to this other galaxy. And the Nile, a big part of how they have an upper hand on the Jedi is that they can travel through these unmapped uh, and unclaimed hyperspace lanes uh, through mm-hmm. space, and they're the and they're the only ones that know about them. So they have all of these secret maps to get around the galaxy that the Jedi and regular people don't have. And this all feels very connected to what's going on here. So if you're not caught up on the High Republic or haven't explored it, I think, and you're interested in the show Ahsoka, I think you should get a little bit of an understanding of the High Republic because I I think it will be connected here. But so Morgan calling her ship the Eye of Scion feels feels like we're supposed to think of of the Eye of Marcion, of the Nile, of the High Republic. I'll also say that Darth Scion uh, is a character from the Knights of the Old Republic game, which you guys mm. know we're not super familiar with that, know the basis. I didn't know Darth Scion was a character, but he was called the Lord of Pain, and he survived death by basically combining his pain and anger, and he like lived on the dark side of the Force. So there's something there, but also... It's like Maul. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is also related to Ezra and Malachor and Ahsoka mm-hmm. and Kanan and all of that. 
Um, Sion or Zion with a Z is also Hebrew and biblical in origin and refers mm-hmm. to a promised land. Yeah, it refers to the promised land. Um, and in the Bible, Zion was used, was seen to be used interchangeably with Jerusalem uh, when referring mm-hmm. to the city of Jerusalem, which was the promised land for the Jewish people in the Bible. So all of this is kind of tracking if the eye of Sion is to take Morgan Elsbeth somewhere to another galaxy, to a promised land. It's just, it's all clicking. <laughs> Do I think the show will address if this ship is from the High Republic? I don't know, but it immediately made me think of that. Mm-hmm. Upon second watch, though, when they get that piece of the hyperdrive and they like install it into this big ring, it definitely looks like they're using one of those hyperspace launching rings that we see in the prequels so often with ships going into it. But they could be like ultra modifying it and using the technology on this old ship. Like, I don't know. Um, It could be cool to explore, but it definitely made me think about that. And um, I'm really intrigued to see if I'm right about that because it's very specific in terms of a look. Even those holograms, I mean, what the heck? They were so different. See, this is why I think think they could – they could not directly mention the Nile or like the eye of the Republic, yeah. but I think there'll be some kind of reference that could be interpreted as the High Republic. I just think the High Republic dealing so heavily with transportation and hyperspace and how people get around the galaxy, it just and and even phase two of the High Republic goes further back. From the 500 years, it's like another 150 years into the past. It feels pointed, and I I feel like there's got to be a connection there. I think you're spot on with it, honestly. I, I hope so. I can't wait to see because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be clear that Balin and Morgan and Shin and that whole group that is trying to find Thrawn, which I think that there's a lot of like political stuff that we haven't even unpacked, that the show hasn't unpacked either, that we'll get to about like what happens when they find Thrawn. I think that Shin even asked this and I think it's a good question for the screenplay to ask, by the way, and him saying, uh, Balin saying, you know, power for us, which I think is the ultimate motivation for Darksiders. But I think it's even more than that. And I think Shin's face is a little like, I don't know what to expect here, (laughs) to be honest. And I think with the contingency plan with Palpatine and everything, I think this makes sense that he could potentially be out there. Maybe there's a whole fleet of ships. Maybe this somehow links up with this uh, sequel trilogy somehow and the way that Palpatine was able to amass an army. Um, I think that those two things will be linked a little bit more um, than what we're aware of. It just sort of makes sense, but um, excited to see. <laughs> and I think... Uh, I were I think we're in for oh sorry what I was saying before though is I think that they're going to go at it with like an insane amount of technology and Ahsoka and Sabine might not I think that they might be on the other side of it by going potentially a little bit more of a foresee way than amassing all of this tech in order to make the jump Mm -hmm. to the next galaxy Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, especially bringing up the contingency plan, which I feel like it's been a minute since we've talked about Palpatine's contingency plan. It also makes Mm -hmm. me wonder if in this time period we'll see Ahsoka's story, the show, intersect at all with the Mandalorian and Grogu in the sense of the cloning aspect. Uh, Mm -hmm. If we'll see that kind of crop up at all, the cloning of Grogu or children who are Force-sensitive throughout the galaxy, that's something we're always kind of tracking 
throughout shows these days. So I wonder if it'll come up uh, in this series at all. I don't know. It feels kind of further away from the Ahsoka show right now. But if all of these are supposed to connect at some point, it that could come up, I think, too. We haven't talked about Chopper at all. <sighs> Um, that's our my, boy's back. That's my one complaint of episode one is there was no Chopper. But then Chopper was there in episode two. It's okay. Yes, he was. What an intro. He had a full-on conversation with Hera. At one point, I swear, his little grumble, he, I think he called Hera mom. No. <laughs> which is like so cute. But him being able to un- like to not find the, the tracking beacon – I was dying. Is like, he's just the best? Your and I hope spare battery. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I found it. He's so excited. <laughs> Hair is like what's funny? Focus. I feel like his grumpiness like didn't fully come through in this introduction. Instead, he no, was like happier kind of cool, yeah. than usual. Yeah. So I'm excited for him to be more grumpy, but it was still perfect. It was amazing. I can't believe Chopper's in live action. I mean, he's he's been in live action. Like we know <laughs> he's he's had his part in Rogue One, but to see him again. <laughs> what wow. uh, what did your mom think of Chopper? Because she hasn't really been introduced to him, right? Honestly, this is like a sad comment. Oh, she like no. didn't say anything, oh. and I was like, I love Chopper. And she was like. Okay. No. no. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'll just like let you fall in love with Chopper on your own. But that's something that I just need to learn, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Let's talk about the end of this episode with Sabine's haircutting ceremony, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I'm going to headcanon that that is Kanan's knife until told otherwise. I think it is. And, and yeah, and no, nope, it is. If we're on the same page, it is. <laughs> the other big thing we need to talk about is you and I, again, had different opinions on this, is if the very last scene of episode two is not a redo, but just another version of the epilogue from Rebels. You said no, and I said yes. Well, you convinced me yes. Oh, I did? So, yeah, yeah, you convinced oh, me yes. Right. I, I think you're right that it is. It's just another point of view. I just honestly, like, didn't think about it that much, which is kind of bad on me. I don't know why I didn't think about that, but... I think you're so right, and I think you should detail why you think that. Yeah, so I think it is the 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 end of Rebels that we see. I think you mentioned this earlier, actually, in, in our discussion, Charlotte, about uh, Dave playing with expectations and even timelines, and the fact that we put so much pressure on the end of Clone Wars to like line up perfectly with uh, Revenge of the Sith, when in fact they were much more tangled than that, and that that is ultimately reality when we're looking at timelines. And so I think it also makes sense that it would be the same here for Rebels leading into Ahsoka. And I found myself thinking a lot about the monologue at the end of Rebels where basically I think it's the last line that Sabine says, it's time to bring him home, thinking about Ezra. And she, you know, taps the mural on Ezra's face and everything like that. And I think that that is kind of what we see her progression as in the episode of becoming ready to leave Lethal and to go on this next adventure. And Sabine and Ahsoka, or Hera and Ahsoka kind of talk about this on Corellia, where uh, Hera asks, Ahsoka, how does she know if someone is ready to basically go on this journey? And I I think Ahsoka's response is kind of a little bit BS. (laughs) And I think Hera thinks it's a little BS too. Ah Ahsoka says, um, you just know. 
and they know when they're ready, <laughs> something to that extent. Oh, wait, this is funny. I liked that so much. I Hera's look was kind of my look of like, okay. Because Hera asked- Because I think that Sabine does know. I th- and then the thing. Ahsoka did know. I think that's the thing. I, I think it's kind of a little bit BS. It's a little bit hoity-toity, like the force and like the, the Jedi. Yeah. what you're saying. Uh, of it yeah. all, of like, you just know, you know, you just know, and they know. And, and, and Hera's like, okay, but like, you're both really sad and you both really need each other. So- <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? And I think you should just train Sabine again, take her back on as your apprentice. But ultimately, that is where Sabine comes to at the end of the episode, right? She says, I'm ready. That's her her hologram to Ahsoka. She cuts her hair, which, as we know, is very symbolic of um, like shedding the past, go, moving on to a new chapter, everything like that. Uh, so I think it's specific to have this kind of overlap. Um, I know some people will probably comment on the fact that Ahsoka is not wearing a white cape anymore like she is uh, in the Rebels finale. But I also think that's purposeful, too, uh, because if... And I have I have to admit this, but I haven't seen Lord of the Rings, uh, so I know like the basics of it. But there's a lot of the symbolism and stuff I don't know. We're we're changing that soon. We are yes. We're changing it soon. We actually have to I know. watch Return of the King. For Caitlin and I are watching every single Best Picture movie, um, winning of the Academy Awards, and it's a very long project. And it's going to take us a while, but. When I saw Return of the King was on the list, I was like, okay, here it comes. This is, you you can't just watch Return of the King. Yeah, I know. I was like, all right, this is going to be like a whole weekend thing. Um, Yeah. Which I'm I'm honestly excited for. It's time. But, and maybe you can probably speak to this, but if Ahsoka is meant to, I think Dave Gandalf be Gandalf at the end of Rebels, I would assume that where we see her now, she's not actually embodying all of Gandalf's characteristics. Right. I would say that she embodies Gandalf the White in the end of Rebels, but not now. So exactly. it makes sense. Yeah. So because Gandalf makes this like triumphant return from the dead, basically. And that's exactly what Ahsoka is go- goes through in Rebels with the World Between Worlds and as we're saving her and everything. So like that's the representative. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but No, that's, that's what I that's what I assumed was kind of what was happening here. So it makes sense to have had her be Gandalf the White for what that moment was in Rebels, uh, based mm-hmm. off of what you said about that character. But I understand the change here because now she has to embark on this new journey herself with Sabine. Um, I also pulled this quote from Dave from a Vanity Fair article that came out a couple years ago about it was about Ahsoka's premiere in uh, The Mandalorian show. And the question was uh, that quest for Ahsoka, we learn, is a search for the villain Grand Admiral Thrawn. The last time fans saw Ahsoka was this spring's finale of The Clone Wars, but in the actual Star Wars chronology, the last time we saw her was at the end of Rebels, venturing off with Sabine Wren to find Ezra Bridger, who vanished along with Thrawn. Where does that scene fit in with where we find her in The Mandalorian? And Dave says, right, but no. (laughs) It's an interesting one. That's not necessarily chronological. I think the thing that people will most not understand is they want to go in a linear fashion. But as I learned as a kid, nothing in Star Wars really works in a linear fashion. You do episodes four, five, and six, and then one, two, and three. So in in the vein of that history, when you look at the epilogue of Rebels, you don't really know how much time has passed. So it's possible that the story I'm telling in The Mandalorian actually takes place prior to that possible. I'm saying it's possible. And 
I think it is <laughs> because I think <laughs> what happens in The Mandalorian when Ahsoka captures, has that battle with Morgan Elsbeth, I think that's then her going into prison to stand trial and is now the first episode of Ahsoka series. Um, and even if that's wrong, which it very well could be, uh, the point here is that Dave is saying some of these stories are overlapping on each other and the story of the first two episodes of Ahsoka is actually taking place, could be taking place within the epilogue of Rebels, as could the mm -hmm. story of the Mandalorian. And all of that makes sense and still tracks. Um, and even if there's a little flubbing here and there, you guys know we don't, we're, we don't always care. <laughs> um, I don't, but, but I, thought, I think that that is, I think that's extremely true. And it's so testament to the fact that Dave like has a, objective for the character of Ahsoka and has for a really long time. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. Um, so yeah, anyway, I do think that this takes place. This is the epilogue of Rebels that we see at the end of episode two. And I think makes sense too with the fact that they premiered these episodes together and it's like, okay, now we've caught up to the end of Rebels and now we are embarking on the next step. We're seeing what comes next after that scene in both the animated show and the live action show. And mm -hmm. there's something kind of cool about that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that's where we're at. And again, I just didn't even think about it the first time that question was posed about whether or not this was the same scene, but I actually think it's definitely the same scene and it makes a lot of sense and I'm here for it. One thing I wanted to talk about that we sort of skipped over when talking about episode one was I really like Ahsoka's line of sometimes even the right reasons have the wrong consequences. What do we do then? And I think in a lot of ways, that's the thesis for this series. And it's something that I want to like go back to because it's something I've just been thinking about a lot, like the right reasons. Ahsoka left the Jedi Order and her walking away was the right reasons, but it definitely had the wrong consequences her asking the question, what do we do then? I think can be said about her walking away from Sabine has the wrong consequences. What do you do then? You accept the person back into your life, right? Like you support them if they want to come back, right? Um, if they forgive you. And I just, I don't know. I really like the line. See, it's funny because I thought that line was kind of cheesy too. And I kind Yeah, but of, it is cheesy, but it's Star Wars. It's it fine. kind of put me with the uh, the line about, you know, how do you know when someone's ready? You just know. <laughs> well, I, I just think it's like a – it's a Davism, okay? I'm just looking past it. I think it's good. I'm just going to blow past I like it. it. I think yeah. – well, I, I do think you're right that that could be a path for the thesis of this series. But I think the thesis for this series is actually a quote from Hu Yang earlier in the episode where he's talking to Ahsoka about uh, Balin and Shin's lightsabers and uh, about how Ahsoka can't, if they were trained like Jedi, Ahsoka probably can't take them on alone. And then he says, of course, you may not be alone for much longer. And to me, that kind of feels like the tagline of where Ahsoka ends up at the end of the series, or I hope anyway. I know. Ahsoka needs to spend less time alone. I know. It makes me sad. It makes me sad too. But can I just say that I really like her ship. And it was funny because when I saw Sabine and Ahsoka walking through it for the first time, I was like, what's up with this big empty room? It's so spacious. And for what reason? And then a big table just 
<laughs> emerges. I love it. I love it too. And what I love also is that Ahsoka has this like coffee cup or something, this calf cup that she's walking around with. And when Sabine leaves, not only does Sabine lower the table, but she moves the calf cup. <laughs> I love that. That's spatial awareness. <laughs> so funny to me. Uh but anyway, yeah, I I think that that is the thesis or could be the tagline for the series. I think you're right, though, like too, that. because, you know, the right reasons have the wrong consequences. But what were the wrong consequences, right? It's not Ahsoka's fault that Anakin fell to the dark side. No. It's not her fault that the Jedi were lost. Um, mm-hmm. So can she atone for any of that? Does she need to? No, like what is she atoning for? It's not the same as with Anakin and Kylo. It's about, it's it's almost similar to a Luke journey of coming yes. to terms and acceptance uh, for her past and the people that she knew and interacted with. Exactly. And I think that's why her and Luke having some screen time together in the Book of Boba Fett was interesting because their paths are, should be pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Especially because some one way that, to think about Ahsoka is like Anakin's first experience in parenting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, again, they could have some things in common in that way. Not like Luke was parented by Anakin, but yeah. father-son journey is sort of the whole thing. Yeah. And again, I, I am just going back to my theory of Ahsoka leaving Sabine to potentially meet up with Luke. Yeah. And then her getting there and being like, wait, Leia too? (laughs) 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 And Ben would have already been born now too. So, right. Or about to be born. Not during that time about, no, not during that time. That would be if after Rebels, like between the epilogue, like basically where we're at right now in Ahsoka, that would be during the original trilogy. So even Luke might not know about – I don't even know. Yeah. No, that's it's true. something to explore. Yeah. We, well, yeah. as Dave said in that quote, we don't know how much time has passed in the epilogue. So I think we just know that at the end of – that by the time of the epilogue, the war is over. So that mm-hmm. could mean it just ended or it ended five years ago. Timelines are getting so confusing <laughs> for us these days. <laughs> because if – the Mandalorian takes place five years after Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. So if the episode that Ahsoka is in in the Mandalorian is roughly five to six years after Return of the Jedi, then that would mean mm-hmm. the epilogue is then the Rebels epilogue in episode two of Ahsoka is five to six years after Return of the Jedi. Correct. Which leaves a lot of time for exploration. I can't, yeah. And I can't remember when is Ben born? <laughs> ben is born <laughs> nine months after the end of Return of the Jedi. Okay, so he is out there. Yeah. Okay, so Ahsoka could meet Ben. She could. Anyway, we also really didn't talk about like Ezra having an appearance, but we did see him in a trailer, so it's not super new. I just can't believe that we're going to find Ezra. I hope the series ends with us finding Ezra. It could stretch into season two, and I'm like okay with that, but it's I'll have to be okay with it. But yeah. What if it's not until the movie? Like what if there's not season two? Uh-huh. That's a lot. <laughs> I uh, see, I hope that he, Dave kind of plays with our expectations again and we find Ezra before the end of the series, end of the season, so that we get a little bit of time with him. Right. There is so much expectation that this is going to be the journey to Ezra and Thrawn, but I think probably halfway through we'll actually Ooh. experience that. Ooh. 
I'm I'm very excited. I have such high hopes and I cannot wait to continue to talk about it. Just to sort of wrap things up, let's talk about how epic the credits are, the end credits are, and also Kevin Kiner's unbelievably brilliant score. He nailed it. So good. There's this like just like absolute slay. There a really big slay. <laughs> There's this yeah. uh, piano in the beginning with Balon and Shin when they're rescuing Morgan. That is so cool. And I feel like we don't hear a lot of that overt kind of like, I almost like, and it's like Phantom of the Opera with like the really intense piano pounding, you know what I mean? Uh, and we hear some of that in the beginning of the episode that I thought was so fun. And I don't think we hear a ton of in Star Wars and it really stood out to me. And then of course, Ahsoka leaves that rebels theme that we that like sentimental rebels theme it's not the rebels fanfare like from the show it's that you you know which one I'm talking about (laughs) the emotional one I do (laughs) it's so good it was beautiful it's so good it was beautiful the music the music was like just this show is made for Caitlin and I in a lot of ways (laughs) and having Kevin do the score is one of the many brilliant moves I think Mm -hmm. because it's just so seamless it's perfect I think it plays with our understanding of these characters that we've met before and hearing this like nouveau version of Ahsoka's theme I think is just so brilliant I'm very excited about it Mm -hmm. I just think it's really special because you know Kevin created these themes and we talked a little bit in our first couple of Rebels recap rewatch episodes about how there's actually the first couple of seasons of Rebels pull a lot on traditional John Williams uh, motifs and stuff like that. But there was a really big importance on Kevin scoring Ahsoka Leaves, that theme, which you kind of touched on earlier, Charlotte, and the fact that, you know, the season five finale of The Clone Wars doesn't end with The Clone Wars fanfare. It ends with the Ahsoka Leaves score. And if I remember correctly, Kevin went out to record a live orchestra for that recording. And I think they didn't do that on Clone Wars. Uh, Those aren't live orchestra recordings, but I'm pretty sure Ahsoka Leaves was a live orchestra recording. And I think Kevin might have paid for it or like really pushed for it. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds super familiar to me. (laughs) But these these themes are so important, and especially the Rebels one, too. Uh, Like, those themes in Season 4 are so emotional and pull at the heartstrings so much. That theme is also kind of reminiscent. I heard it in uh, this episode, too. It it flows really nicely with the Force theme. And we hear a little bit of the Force theme uh, when Sabine is battling Shin in the first episode. Um, but I just think these these themes are so beautiful and they're, like I said, they're really emotional. I also think um, in the end credits, there's a motif that sounds like it's going into Leia's theme. Did you hear this at all? I did. And I don't know what to think about it. Yeah, it's like it. it's the first couple of notes. And in my head, my head is like completing the Leia theme. But then it segues. It goes somewhere else. It, it's not Leia's theme. But it feels like it could have been. And I wonder if this is Sabine's new theme, what her theme actually is. Uh, I don't ha- I'm I'm not a musical expert by any means. So there's obviously music playing over her in certain scenes and stuff like that. But, you know, this is the first two episodes. I'm just not sure what will eventually be known if she does have her own kind of set theme uh, the way that Ahsoka does. I hope so. And, and I also kind of wondered if we would hear Hera's soars at all in this series, which would be really fun if we do. 
Yeah, that, I think it would be so cool. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> anyway, I am in love with the music. And also um, Ludwig, I believe, had has a writing credit on Sabine's rock song that she's introduced. Heck yes, he does. Yeah. And it is so good. It's, I was like, yes. Because I loved uh, his rendition of Ahsoka Leaves uh, in The Mandalorian. Me too. It, it's a really Me cool too. and it matches the... I forget what instruments he's using for the Mandalorian theme, but it matches that vibe. So to have him here a little bit in the Ahsoka show was great too. Not to mention the end credits themselves, the like animation with the world between worlds is just so cool. Or the map. <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm like, exactly, yeah. we really thought it was going to be the world between worlds like fully, but is it, is it just the map and like more explore? I don't even know. I don't I'm know. so excited. It's me really too. Good. Can't wait. It's really Give good. Give me episode three. Let's go. We're not there yet. We're not there I yet. Don't. Well, I think that is kind of the end of our discussion. We've talked about a lot, and somehow I feel like we've also missed a ton, which is part of the course for us. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is kind of our first time back at the mic in a little bit. So getting back on that bicycle again. But also, you guys know, with like really fun, cool, new Star Wars like this, you're just going a mile a minute and you're going to miss a lot of stuff. But in our future episodes, we'll come back to it. Don't worry. Or you can comment on it and let us know whenever you're watching, listening to this in the future. <laughs> um, but we hope you guys have been enjoying Ahsoka. We are excited uh, for when this episode does get released and to be able to talk about the show and everything else Star Wars. So if you want to give us your opinion, let us know what speculation you had for the show uh, when these first couple episodes aired. We would love to know. You can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Flesher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. You can also find us on Threads, the Instagram, Twitter, lookalike app Threads <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> on TikTok, our website Skytalkers.com, all of those good places. And if you have a couple seconds and would like to leave us a review, it would truly mean the world to us and helps other people find our show. And also, if you'd like to take a screenshot and share on your social media of choice and tag us of you listening in real time to the show, it's a great kind of virtual word of mouth and helps other people know that you're listening and enjoying. And wherever you post that and tag us, we will be sure to retweet, repost, reshare to our story, etc. all those good things. And if you're interested in other ways to support us and to get involved in our amazing Discord community that is active talking about everything going on Star Wars, please head on over please head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Ben, Emily, Isabel, Sammy, Kat, Haley, Jake, Poncho's mom, Jessica, Brooke, Jacqueline, Chris, Eugene, David, Triumphant Ewok, Maximilian, Jake, Pamela, GMO, Gary, Joe, Cassie, and Jenny. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.